If you want to turn in your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to go there in just a minute. We're in a series called uh, From the Dust. We have not left it. Uh, we will not be leaving it for a few more weeks. I don't know what it is lately about doing series that are longer than just four weeks, but I feel like it's, it's good. Like, there's something in this. How many of you enjoyed last week we did Freedom Sunday? Was that good? Um, we were able to partner with about a thousand other churches that were doing that around the country, uh, so, uh, really dedicated to ending slavery in the earth. And uh, I, was, I was so impressed by Jordan and what she shared, loved what IJM is doing around the world. And so hopefully some of you participated, jumped in on that, and are still doing that. I saw like 12 of the Girls Are Not For Sale t-shirts uh, around the place. So uh, that was cool. Uh, so I, I really love that we able to do that. And today I want to get into a little word that maybe you've heard it this way, maybe you haven't, but I want to get into a little word we call calling. Anybody ever heard that word? Maybe you've heard it. If you've been in church, you've heard it. If you, it's starting to make its way outside the church, but it's one that kind of started there. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question. Just tell me if you've ever asked yourself this question. Why am I here? And I don't mean like uh, hey, babe, we got to go pick up some bananas and some paper towels at, at the store, and then we're ending up shopping for dresses and T-shirts and new shoes at Target because for some reason those should all exist under the same roof. I don't mean a why am I here like that. I don't mean a why am I here at the back of an hour-long line waiting for a four-minute ride. I don't mean any of that. I don't mean why am I here at the DMV. Why can't they just do all this stuff online and ship it to me? I can take a picture with my own flipping phone. I don't need your camera. Amen? Come on. Somebody needs to say preach it preacher right then that was anointed and it was from heaven and and um and I, uh, I i i i like i don't mean that kind i mean like a deeper like a sitting in your workstation sitting at your house sitting in traffic one day just going why am i on this planet why do i exist why do i actually get to breathe in and breathe out Come on, young Daniel, son, every single day. Like, why, why am I on this planet? I know we don't like to act like we ask that question because to think that deeply requires that we search deeply, and that's not always the easiest thing to do, and there's no easy answer. We like easy answers. So when we ask the question, why am I here, we can kind of go on this little rabbit trail. We begin to defeat ourselves and beat ourselves up because we don't know the answer. We feel like we should know the answer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's a question that plagues us. In fact, there's a, a man, you're going to love his name. There was a man who wrote a book called Working. That was the title of the book. Very original. Creative, you can tell. He's got, he probably paints too. Um, his name was Studs. And he just was Stud. He's Studs. Studs Turkle. Don't worry about his name. But he wrote a book on working. It was just a book on working. And he went and he asked people, why they work, how they work, where they work, and just did a study on working. And he came away with this quote. I want to read it to you. It says this, work, this is his, the way he kind of defined it after he'd interviewed all of these people on working. He said, work is about a search for daily meaning in the struggle for daily bread. That's good, right? Well, I wish I had said it. Work, work, work is about a search for daily meaning in our struggle for daily bread. And sometimes those do not always agree with each other. It's, a, it's a, a search for recognition as well as cash. In short, for, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying. 
Isn't that interesting? This guy goes and studies a bunch of people and finds that even in a job, even if it's well-paying, even if it's you've got the right title, you're the boss, that it is not money that keeps people employed. It is, how many of you know you, you were making decent money and you've decided you didn't want to work there anymore? It is not about the cat. We, there's something deeper in us. In fact, he, he said this statement. I loved this statement. This is, this is a great one. He says, most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirit. Most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirit. Now, let me just clarify something. He is not telling you to quit. He is not calling you to quit your job. He's telling you to quit letting your job be the thing that fulfills or determines the level of your spirit. That is a big distinction, isn't it? For many of us, we've allowed our job to become the thing that defines us. In fact, there was an interview of a young lady who had really started her own business and made it to the top and was doing really well. And she goes, I always wanted to make money and be the boss so I could tell people to do the things I did not want to do. She said, but the problem is there is one thing I cannot do. I cannot hire anyone to find for me what gives me purpose, meaning, and fulfillment. I can hire people to do all the things I don't want to do, but I still have yet to find anyone I can hire to tell me what brings me meaning and fulfillment in life. There's something about us, and I kind of have a hint, I have an idea of what that is, and if you've been here for the last few weeks, you probably do as well, that there's this, this, there's this desire and want in us for something that goes deeper than simply what we do with our hands. We want our heart attached to what our hands are doing. And it really is this little word, calling. Now in the church, and, and really this idea of calling and vocation in, in, in the word itself, not the idea, but the word itself is fairly new. It's a few hundred years old. It's, it's, so it's beginning to become more and more of a thing we talk about. And for some of us, we would hear the word vocation. And if some of you have no idea what it means, that's fine. It's okay. But some of us would hear that word, and we would immediately equate it to work. Our vocation is our work. But the reality of the word is it's much deeper than that. And in fact, we've allowed it to become just work. When actually, you could also translate the same root word as voice. Vocation is much closer to you finding your voice than it is to you just doing your job. And what the beauty about finding your voice is, is that your voice is not limited by your job. And your job cannot shut down your voice. And if you discover your voice, you can use it wherever you are. And so we have to take the limits off some of these words. So the vocation and calling are the same, same word, and they have a bit of a different bent in terms of our understanding of it, in terms of our, our ability to understand it. The word calling is, is and, and, and I know maybe you don't go there immediately, but if you take it to its base level, the word calling simply means that you are being called. Calling is a response to a call. And for many of us, we spend our life Wondering why we're here. And here's what happens. If we get frustrated, we stop wondering. And we go, well, I don't, I'm just not here for a reason. I'm just going to do my own thing. Hey, just have fun. Which, again, I think is a devaluing of your life, not a valuing of your life. I don't think, hey, well, well I'm, just, I'm just here, so let's just have a good time with it. I don't think that values your life. I think that actually devalues your life because you actually are missing out on a part of you. You were created for something. You were made to live. And for some of us, we've, we've gotten so uh, discouraged or frustrated or pessimistic or hurt or whatever it is. Just, I can't find the answer. And so we push this question off. Or for some of us, we feel a little guilty because we really enjoy our job, 
but we don't know that it's our calling, and we're not sure we're supposed to enjoy our job if it's not our calling. Are we allowed to like it and it not be spiritual? And maybe that's one of the challenges in the church is that what, what happened is the years ago, and I do mean years ago, like we're talking like Play-Doh time, like the man Play-Doh, right? Okay, just the, not like 80s Play-Doh, like the man Plato, Socrates, right, these guys, these philosophers who began to talk about the earth as a shadow of what is and began to make this division between what is sacred and what is secular and began to say this is actually not good and that is good and it began to seep into the church. That was never the church's intention. The church is never to say the earth is bad and heaven is good. That was never what God designed. God designed the earth to be a representation and an image of who he is, that creation would represent him, that creation would praise him and worship him, not because of the words they speak, but because of simply the fact that they were created and made special and incredible and powerful and good. And there's this, been this false divide between what is sacred and what is secular, and the problem with that is, it's really, truth is, it's two sides of the same coin. Everything is secular. Everything is sacred. It's all good. Everything is spiritual. And here's what happens. What happens is, on one side of the coin, we go, well, there's only a designated group of people that do the spiritual things, that do the sacred things. I, that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I'm, I'm going to come to church because I need to hear the spiritual people. Right? I mean, you even heard Talisha say it today. And it just... You know, it's more spiritual. And we have this phrasing in our language that, that this, you know, well, what Brandon's doing is more spiritual than what I am doing. And so on one hand, we, we begin to say we're not worthy of something. On the other hand, we can go, well, our work is not spiritual. It's secular, so I don't actually have to do anything with it. I can just treat it as a job to make money, and then we find ourselves frustrated because money is just not cutting it. And we don't think it's spiritual. We don't think it has any meaning. We don't think it has any value. And so we actually disregard it as something that can't actually change the world. And so when, when we treat there, when we act like there is a divide between what is secular and sacred, we actually begin to compartmentalize our life and we begin to make Sunday morning the spiritual time of our week and Monday the secular time or the non-sacred time of our week. And we begin to, we actually begin to take apart our life instead of bringing it together and syncing it up. And in the Hebrew language, which is what most of the Old Testament is written in, there is no word for spiritual, not a one. There is no, why? Because the writers of the Bible would have said, everything is spiritual. Everything has value to your spirit. Everything. And so don't disregard some. Man, if you go play frisbee golf and you enjoy it, and it brings breath into your lungs, and you freshen up, or you like shopping, be careful. But if you like it, Right? If you like go grabbing a drink at five o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon and, and man, you just enjoy being around your buddies and you just there's something there's something wrong with that. It's not like less spiritual. Do I think God moves in particular ways and places? Absolutely. But it's not because it's more spiritual, it's because we found unity. Because what we will also do is if well, if it's not on Sunday, then it doesn't count. So Wednesday night dinner parties, we can't pray like we pray in church. We can't believe for miracles like we believe in church. We can't worship like we do in church. Why? Because, well, it's Wednesday. It's not Sunday. Give me a... No. The, God created Sunday to start your week. 
to, to, to say, hey, this is what you're going to bring into the earth. This is what you're going to bring into your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday and your Friday and Saturday. I just wanted to prove that I know all the days. And there's no, there is no divide. There is no kind of distinction between the two. God wants you, and, and, and really the only time in the New Testament that you would see the word spiritual or even the concept of it is when Paul is talking about us being enlivened or empowered by the Spirit. And Paul's mentality towards the Spirit was not just for Sunday. In fact, that was the least he talked about it. He talked about the Spirit being one by which we live and move and have our being. That sounds pretty all-encompassing. The Spirit was meant to enliven us and empower us and give us dynamic life in everything we do. So that if you are a great carpenter, or if you're a great designer, or you're a great photographer, or you're a great uh, a mom, or you're a great dad, or you're a great husband or wife, or you're a great uh, banker, or you, all of that has a spirit to it and a spiritual side to it. and I, Because I know for some of us, when we get frustrated, we get frustrated about calling because we want it to be the burning bush that Moses got. You know what I'm saying? Like we want the burning bush and go, oh my God, there is no way this happens unless God is doing it. Like that's what we want. We want the no discussion, no, this is the, amazing. That's what we want. That's what we desire. But I find that maybe those are in the Bible because they're the exception to the rule. Right? Those moments, that's not what you see in the New Testament. You, you don't see the Holy Spirit going, oh, hey, like, look at that building. It's on fire, but it's not on fire. Everybody's okay. You're fine. Don't worry about it. It's, we don't see that. We, we actually see God moving in the Spirit. As we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers us and moves us and shapes us as we go. And so this, this, this divide between the two has to go away. And, and this word calling is such a, a big word. We wrestle with it. We deal with it. And when we shrink it to our career, we actually take its value and its freedom off of our life. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. So if you're in Matthew chapter 4, I want to talk a little bit about Matthew chapter 4. Again, one of my favorite places in the Bible, one of my favorite words, uh, verses in the Bible, sections of scripture in the Bible is Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. And most of and much of what we talk about in our church can be found a lot in these few verses. Uh, represents a lot of different things going on. So if you want to read with me, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, he says this. As he, he Jesus, was walking along the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. He called them. Immediately, they left the, their boat and their father and followed him. There's a lot of things going on here in this section of Scripture. Let me just point out just a few things, just a few things about this, because really what Jesus is doing is calling his first disciples. In fact, you'd see that in your Bible translation. For some of you, you'd see that phrase, calling the disciples, or choosing his first disciples. This calling idea of being a response to. And, and, and so let me just pull out just a couple things. The first thing I want to mention is not what Jesus says, but who he calls. I think this is really important. If I find that throughout the Bible, as you read through the Bible, what you find is God calling people who are already working. 
Do you ever notice that it just seems like they're already moving? They're already, like, getting themselves forward. Now, these are not guys who'd never heard of Jesus, never talked about Jesus. A couple of these guys were John the Baptist's disciples, meaning John the Baptist had already told them about Jesus. They had already talked about it. They'd heard about his mir- some of his miracles. This is not like all of a sudden they decide to leave their dad at the boat and go, yo, this guy seems cooler than you. I'm going to go with him. That's not kind of the moment we're having here. What we're really having is these guys being called into a new season and a new life. But they've heard about this guy, this Jesus, and in some cases probably encountered him. But he's calling them into a new thing. Yet, even though they were already disciples of John, because sometimes we think disciples waiting on our call means we don't work. But I found that when you're sitting on your hands, God can't use them. That too many times we get, we just kind of go, well, I don't know, I'm waiting on God to open, peel the roof off the building, and I'm waiting for like the burning bush thing, and, and the problem, I don't even have bushes in my yard, like where am I even going to see one? Like I, I'm just going to wait on God to do something, and we, we sit on our hands, and then we're frustrated when God isn't using our hands to touch the lives of people around us, or in a way that God had designed us for. He just seems to always call people who are already working. And doing spiritual work, cleaning their nets. Like you, you can work and do your job well. And that is a testimony of God's grace in your life. Because he's graced you with a gift. And he's given you a heart to be disciplined, to be faithful, to persevere, to bring joy into your workplace. Come on, to do your job well. Come on, to, to be peaceful, to, like, that's, that's a testimony of God's grace in your life. And so he calls these guys, and then he says this phrase, he just simply says, follow me. Follow me. Now, this phrase is really important. I think this is really, this phrase itself is the distinction between the sacred and the secular. That if we were to uh, uh, deal with that idea of sacred and secular in the context of this phrase, follow me, we'd understand that follow me is a bit, uh, it's a bit of a general statement in, in, in the sense that it's not telling them what they are, who they're going to be. It's, this is, there's a reason the authors of the Bible usually divide this statement into follow me, he said, for I will make you. Because the following is important. The following matters. The following, ultimately, is to say, this is your first step. Follow me. The making comes secondarily. The primary step is to follow me. Are you with me? Come on now. There's cha- some chairs are amening me more than you are. Like, it's like, <laughs> follow me. That's our primary calling is to follow Jesus. Because here's what I'll tell you. Your devotion We will find our design in our devotion. What we devote our lives to, we will discover our design in. What we are designed for. In in other words, let me say it another way, because I like words that start with the same letter. We are formed in the following. The context for the formation of your life is the following of God. So when we follow things with our heart that are not meant to create us or make us, We get frustrated when those things don't result the way we had wanted them to result or or end. They don't end up the way we had hoped they would because we are following something that actually does not have the power to make us into who we are called to be. That is one person's job, and it's the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of your life. 
Because our formation happens in our following. Our devotion determines in so many ways our design. The devotion of our lives is the context through which God gives us and reveals to us even more so our design. Psalm 37.4 says it like this. We'll throw that on the screen. Psalm 37.4 says, For if you delight in the Lord, if you'll take delight in the Lord, he will give you your heart's desires. Now, again, it, you can read this two ways, and they're both right. Really. Really, the, one, the way we typically read this is we go, okay, take delight in the Lord, and he will give me whatever I want. Right? How many of you read it like that? Well, don't all raise your hand, because then it might not feel like spiritual. But what if it's this? And this would be what most scholars would tell you. What if it's as you take delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires that you should have that are your design, that are made for you, that are actually what are going to bring you fulfillment and meaning and purpose. He will reshape and reform and re-give the design of your life, the desires of your heart because you've delighted in him. Our devotion, what we devote our lives to, what the top thing on the list is, what the center of our world is, what we devote to is the thing that will be and set the context for how we discover our design. He makes us. He fo we follow him. And then he says, and this is the part that we all go to, and this is where the calling part comes into play. Follow me. That's our call. That's the first of two callings. Now, I, want, I want to just take this off the plate for some of us because some of us think we have one calling and that's it. Meaning that if we don't find the specific thing that we were made for, we should just be disappointed for the rest of our life. If we never get the burning bush or we never get the roof off the building, we're just going to be frustrated and discouraged. Or we just live, yeah, just live life. Ah, whatever. But what if there's a primary calling and out of the primary calling comes our secondary calling? There is a general calling for the church and for people, humans, I mean, the essence of humanity is that we were responding, that we are called, that we're responding to the call put on our lives like Adam when he was shaped and made and given work to do that was not meant to d dominate him or hurt him, but to actually fulfill him because there was work that existed in the garden. In paradise, we worked. So your, paradise, your work is not a curse. And so here's, here's this understanding of this... Uh, uh, this idea, this understanding of, of what God's doing in our life, we, we, have to, we have to get to this place where we understand God has called us first to himself. Uh, Nietzsche, anybody know who Nietzsche is? Frederick Nietzsche, I don't, I don't say his name right, I'm sorry. Years ago he would have said God is going to be dead by now. That was a big deal. God, is, God will be dead. He just does, he does not stand up, to the, it just doesn't stand up to whatever. And uh, by, over the years, we will evolve and we'll move past God. And that just has not been the case. In fact, Christianity is still growing and growing rapidly. And uh, God's not dead. But what he would say is this, and I think it's true as well. I think he's right here. If we don't have one who calls us, then what are we doing trying to live the call? In, in other words, he said, if we cast off faith, why do we hold on to morality? 
His understanding would say, if you throw away your Christian faith, you should not uphold a Christian morality. Why? In America, we don't always love to, to deal with our heritage because there are things about our heritage that are ugly. But there are also some things about our heritage that are good. And, and, and the idea that we, we are not going to be dominated by one person sitting on a throne, but we are actually going to give our life, all of us, all of us are created in the image of God. All of us are created equal. That we might know we are created with a purpose and with a divine call to be something and to do something with our life. And, and, and we can miscontrol through that and we can misinterpret that but the understanding of that frees us up and and for many of us in america we don't understand that so much of what does happen today happened because there were people who said i'm going to give my life to what jesus has done in me and for me i was sitting with a young man the other day it was family we, it was a great conversation and he said well you know religion started most wars not true actually uh they just put out an encyclopedia of wars 1700 wars 200 of them started by some kind of religious beef that's a small percentage, just throwing that out there. And then we got to begin it, and I said, listen, hospitals started because Christians thought every person value, was valuable. That no one should just be set let on the side of the road. The Red Cross was started by a believer who said, you know what, I'm going to go take care of people. Salvation Army, same thing. Over and over and over and over again, you see in society people who are saying everybody's voice matters, everybody's life matters, everybody matters. And, and here's what, let me just tell you something. What those people were pursuing first was not necessarily what are they gifted at, but who is their God. And what they were pursuing was, I'm going to follow him. And as I follow him, in that context, I will begin to discover things about what is in my hand and in my heart that allows me to be everything I was called to be. If you've ever, ever heard of a, a charity called uh, Charity Water, anybody ever heard of Charity Water? That was started by a guy who was a club promoter in New York, a very successful club promoter in New York, doing very well for himself, who was also a photographer. He just happened to get on a boat called Mercy Ships, which goes into third world countries and is a hospital on a cruise ship and does things for free. They do surgeries for free. I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing. You'll never hear about it, but it's a pretty incredible thing. They buy these cruise ships, they make it a hospital, then they go and port and, and, they, and they dock and they take people in, do surgeries that they can't do by themselves and send them on their way. How many? No, that's an awesome thing. And he decided to take photos. Guess what? He realized as he followed Jesus, he, he decided, well, the club thing ain't mine anymore. It's a new season. And so he started Charity Water. Something happens when we begin to work with what we already have that God begins to call out of us something we didn't know we had and begins to call us into things we didn't know we were called into. And so here's this God that's working in us at all times and in all things, working with us to make things happen, and he's called us. And he says this statement, I will make you. I will make you. And in a culture that's unsure of God and very sure of self, believers decide that we're a little unsure of ourselves and we're much more sure of God. I know we don't like to hear that. But I don't know. If, I, if, you're, if I'm left to myself, I just, I just know. I was just for four days with my boys all by myself. I just know I am not the greatest person in the world. Like I thought things and I might have said things that I just should not say as a human. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But we are so sure of ourselves but the reality is when we dig deep into our heart, what we think about people, what we think about others, and what we do. In fact, we're seeing that in our culture, aren't we? We're beginning to realize that there have been some things hidden in our hearts that we have not dealt with that we actually shouldn't be so sure of ourselves. We should actually begin to realize that what makes us more sure is being sure of him, not us. And in our surety of who he is, we begin to find out, discover who we are, and we begin to see some of these things come back into place. And it, it sounds a lot like, when, I, when he says, I will make you, it sounds a lot like, uh, let's create them in our image. 
in our likeness. Jesus' phrasing here is intentional. I will make you. It takes the ball out of our court, and it puts it in his. The context is following. The result is being made. The thing I don't love about the word make and made is its future tense. I know we don't like that, right? Like, I, I, I wish that the moment he said, follow me, they were disciples. Like, they knew exactly what they were going to do. But you know what? It took, it took them three years. And even then, they weren't quite sure how all this was going to play out. They were clamoring for Jesus to stay. Please don't go. They didn't want him to go. But it was part of the discipleship process. This making of our lives. They were not made the moment they were called. They were called so that they would be made. And so that's why we follow. Because we are not just making a decision that we love Jesus. We are following Jesus so that we aren't just stuck in a moment, but we are progressing in a life towards what God's called us to do. So that we cannot, like Mr. Studs was saying, Right, So that we are not just having a life of dying, just a, a sort of dying happening, but every Monday through Friday is a, a sort of living because our call goes beyond our career and we bring our voice into whatever situation we walk into. This making. And here's the thing about making. It takes time, but it's not just time. There's a, a bit of a process. See, calling stresses future. And for many of us, when we remove God from the equation, we actually begin to worry about our past and let our past determine who we are. Calling stresses our future so that our future begins to determine who we are. So that what God's called us to is begins to be the determining factor in the steps that we are taking. Genesis 12.9, I actually just read this this week. Genesis 12.9, Abram, he's not Abraham yet. If you've ever heard of Abraham, he's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Abram, Abram shows up and uh, God calls him. And really out of nowhere. Genesis 12, verse 1. Never heard of the guy before. And then all of a sudden God is calling him to go to a land he'd never seen before. And in verse 9 of Genesis 12 it says this. Then Abram journeyed by, everybody say it, stages. When God called Abram, he didn't all, then automatically get transferred to his promised land. He didn't automatically get transferred to the place that he was called to. He actually had to travel in stages. I love the subway in New York City. Kevin doesn't. I love it. Kevin just spent a week there. Amazing photography, by the way, Vicky of Fashion Week. That was fantastic. Um, just incredible. I love it. But, but he didn't like I was asking him, oh, I love New York. He goes, no, I didn't like it. So, well, you are not saved. And um, you need more grace. But Meredith and I love New York. We took our two-year-old uh, the third time we went to New York. The third time we took our two-year-old. Stupid. Why would you do that? Because here's what happens. We would take our two-year-old strapped in to a stroller into the subway car, and we would begin to move. But he wasn't technically moving in the stroller. The car was moving, which for him meant, why the heck am I in this flipping stroller? I should be able to stand up and move freely amongst these people. These are my people, right? Like, I should be able to do that. And, and, and he couldn't, and he would just, oh, and he was a big kid. And he would just try to, and people were watching, and I'm just going, oh, my God. And in and, and the subway, you make stops. And you have a place you want to go, but along the way, there are stops. 
And we would just look at it and go, should we just get off here? Like, I don't even know where here is, but should we just get off here? Because I don't want to do this anymore. How many of you know that some of us have treated our calling that way? We've treated our voice, our vocation that way. We've had stops along the way, and the journey has not been as easy or as simple or as clear as we had wanted it to. And we are tempted to say, let's just get off here because I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of working. I'm tired of doing this every time and working so hard. And I'm here to tell you, stay on the bus. Stay on the stuff because I'm just, hey, listen, it happens in stages. And when you quit, when you give up, because God's shaping you and God's forming you and he's making you into what he's created you to be. It will not all be easy. It will not all be simple. You will have to forgive people you'd rather hate. You'll have to love people you'd rather hate. You'll have to be joyful when it's chaos and have peace when you're disturbed. You will have to love people and you'll have to serve people and you will have to go and do life with this abundance because the Holy Spirit is in you, not because you're awesome, but He's awesome. Because you ain't sure of yourself, you are so sure of Him. And the Holy Spirit fills you up from the inside. And there's something that happens. Don't quit on the train. The train is going where you need to go. It is, But there's going to be some stops and some stages along the way. And there's some people in your life and some things that happen and it begins to shape you a little bit. Calling stresses your future, but it also stresses your freedom. Calling stresses your freedom. One of the biggest challenges with discovering calling is not choosing another one. Maybe the biggest challenge for many of us is not that we have one, but that we're worried we don't, we're going to choose the wrong one. We, we know what God's calling us to do, but if we do that, then it means we don't get to do that. You know what I'm talking about? I don't really want to say I'm dating you yet because I, there might be other people I'd write to date. Or, you know, I'm not sure I want to say that's what I'm going to do with my life because I might end up wanting. Can I just tell you, if you're in your 20s, early 30s, first of all, that's just one stage. Amen? But two, you are allowed to change your mind if you get it wrong the first time. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about your calling a career. There are times where we get so, we, we just paralyze ourselves. But the calling stresses freedom. What happens the moment Jesus calls these disciples? They drop what? Their nets. They are now no longer defined by their past. They are now looking towards their future because God has called them. Follow me and I will make you. I will make you who you were called to be. C.S. Lewis said it this way, one of the great minds of all time. He not only wrote great fiction books, or, but he wrote these incredible, just, in fact, I read one in high school, and I didn't understand it. But someone said it was good. So I had to read it again. He, you know, he's, he's a, he got used proper English, which is also difficult. And he said this, the more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity, upbringing, surroundings, and natural desires. 
But see, when these guys made a decision to follow Jesus, not only did they get a glimpse of their future, but they also were released of their past. And they now their freedom was in the fact that they could choose him. And in choosing him, the whole world opened up to them as to who they could become. Because he was going to make them. And he was going to shape them. And he was going to bring them into the image he had created them for. To be a human. To live life. To have breath. Following Jesus brings freedom and future. And if the church doesn't tell people that, no wonder they don't choose the church. This should be a place where people come in Sunday morning, Wednesday night at a coffee table, Tuesday afternoon. This should be a place where people walk in and they all of a sudden get a glimpse of a future and a freedom. They all of a sudden go, well, what I was is no longer me. And yeah, I've got an upbringing, and yes, I've got some heredity, and yes, I've got, and some of us, yeah, and I've got stages, and some of us have stayed too long in a stage because we viewed it as permanent. There's no way I'm getting out of this. No, it's just a stop along the way, and you're learning how to stay with it, how to be disciplined, how to have perseverance, how to follow Jesus even when it doesn't feel right or feel good or when things aren't awesome. We just continue to follow him because it didn't all go smoothly for the disciples. They didn't always do it perfectly but Jesus was with them and when he says go into all the world and make disciples of every nation he also says I will be with you even to the end of the age God didn't leave us he just filled us up and he changed the dynamic of our relationship with him because to be called is to become into relationship with someone it would make no sense to pick up the phone if no one was calling you unless you're trying to avoid a conversation you do not want to have. And how many of us treat our calling that way? I just don't want to deal with that. So I'm going to act like I need to get on down the road. I need to move on down to the next thing. No, 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 no. God didn't call you. Like just, this is one stop along the way. He's moving you into the new thing. Just He's called you to follow him. Do that first. Listen, some of us need to take the pressure off dis discovering the distinct thing about our lives and discover the great divine thing about our lives. And when we do that, we will begin to discover what we are distinctly made to do. Freedom and future. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to bring freedom and future.